for coming back to the Oregon Music News Coffee Shop Conversations at World Cup Coffee and Tea, Northwest 18th and Gleason in Portland. I'm OMN editor Tom D'Antoni, and with me is Kate Power, singer, guitarist, ukuleleist, or is it ukulelean? Well, she's known for her ukulele playing. <laughs> Kate and her husband, Steve Einhorn, came back to Portland last January. They had been gone four and a half years. For decades, they were the owners of Artichoke Music, a store and teaching center, but more importantly, the hub of stringed instruments and song in Portland. It was a welcoming place to visit. There was always somebody playing an instrument, many times one or both of the proprietors who had a thriving career as a performing recording duo, and still do. They gave up the store in 2006. The rest we'll find out about. Let's talk with Kate Power, shall we? Welcome to the cupping room. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> I don't know that, that I've ever talked to you like this without Steve. I know. This is uh, this is one of those uh, unusual circumstances. I know. In that it's, way. it's interesting. <laughs> well, you did that whole thing on us as a couple, and artichoke as a love story, and all those all of those stories were always as a unit. I, I was just telling somebody yesterday. I said, you know, I, what happened was I I had to shot the whole thing, and then. And then I said, wait a minute, I have to go back and get them kissing. Remember that? <laughs> I came back with a whole crew again and, and for one shot. Oh, man. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. Um, so the last time you were seen in Oregon Music News mm -hmm. was in a house that was gutted of things, <laughs> including walls and everything else. Yep. I'm assuming it doesn't look like that anymore. No, right? it's all done. It's really beautiful. Really? There's lots of light. Um, I've had gardens in from Steve built a couple of raised beds and I've been growing herbs and vegetables and flowers and wow. harvesting and canning like crazy. So you moved back in January? January 27th. Why, my goodness, that's the anniversary of my first wedding. Oh, <laughs> congratulations, however it went. Congratulations to you, too. <laughs> Thank you. That's funny. <laughs> I hope yours is more successful than mine. Yeah, me too. Well, you know, we have to have these uh, trial practice marriages yeah. sometimes. <laughs> uh, so so how, how do you like being back in Portland? Well, I love it. Um, it's amazing. It still feels like we're landing in some ways. Yeah. We've had a few parties. I'm trying to, uh, I have a big list by my refrigerator of people that I want to get over for dinner and uh -huh. just have small dinner parties and catch up with people. Uh, but it, it felt really normal. It, it, I can't believe that we were even away in a way, except that yeah. it feels so good to be back that uh, the absence really did make the heart grow fonder, even still. Uh -huh. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. great. And you have your own, your own. I'm sure you've had lots of people over playing. Well, uh, <laughs> most of that has been around rehearsal. With the new band. The new band, oh yes, the Portlanders. Um, <laughs> And that's been fun. My neighbors are complaining mainly because they're not hearing music enough, that we're spending too much time gabbing and telling jokes. But uh, that's what happens when you put a band together with uh, 
four of your oldest friends in Portland. And who are they? Well, so it's uh, Steve Einhorn, Kate Power, Mick Doherty, uh-huh. uh, Kevin Shea Johnson, uh-huh. and Lauren Sheehan. And Lauren, my, my former neighbor, Lauren Sheehan. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's great. Yeah, and we all go back at least 30 years with each other and have uh, good friendships. Uh-huh. And each person plays several instruments. Yeah. Everybody sings uh-huh. with really wonderful voices. So it's been a great experiment um, musically. The biggest problem is that we have collectively about 250 years worth of repertoire. <laughs> so to decide, well, how about this one? But to tell you the truth, in the, lately we've been rehearsing in our, at our house, and then we go out to Lauren's house on the Wilson River for overnight oh, kind of yeah. camping yeah. rehearsal. And in the late hours of those evenings, some songs have been unearthed that uh, <laughs> we didn't expect to do necessarily, but turned out to be just perfect. Like what? Well, one is a song that I learned from from a pretty obscure folk musician. People out here haven't heard much of named Michael Cooney and I just oh I remember I love Michael Cooney and yeah Yeah, yeah. and I remember sitting as a teenager listening to him sing this song uh, in 1971 called Sweet Karina and it's not the Karina it's not the Uh Bob Wills it's it's one I never heard anybody else do it and I was so captivated by it that I I memorized it on the spot. It just absorbed into my system, and I've had this song all these years, like 40 years later. So I played it for for the band um, the other night, and Lauren started singing harmonies along with Steve's harmonies, and it's on the list now, and I've never done it for the public, but I've always had this song in my pocket and loved it. Wow. So things like that are kind of fun. Uh-huh. And then... Uh, the contrast between like Kevin Shea Johnson, ha- he, he'll start off on uh, When I Was a Cowboy, and it's just this low down. It's got this great vibe to it, and it's really fun. So we all get to just forget about thinking about things too much and just dive in, uh-huh. and then we dissect it and figure out what we want to do with it, and uh, hopefully we'll be ready by our gig at O'Connor's. <laughs> On the sixth, because it's sold out, and we're we're going to be ready to go. It's going to be really September sixth. Mm-hmm. Sold out. Yeah. Whoa. I know. Well, it's a little room. <laughs> but Doesn't matter. But yeah, it was, it's really sweet. We're going to do alternate Sundays, uh-huh. September, November, January, etc., um, at O'Connor's on Sunday nights, first mm-hmm. Sunday of the month, and then the other Sunday. I think it's going to turn into a house concert over at Lauren's house uh, in Northwest Portland. Uh, yeah, yes. so that'll be the party one. Ah, I've been I've been to parties there myself. Yes, and more to come. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. 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 Have, how long has it been since you've had a new band? It's been a long time. Yeah. I mean, you know, really. Because mostly it's been you and Steve. It right? has, and yeah. before that, it was Wild Geese. I don't think I've really yeah. been in a band, a real band. Uh-huh. You know, little little ideas that went on for a month or two, but nothing. Uh-huh. You know, that that stuck. Um, the other thing that's inspiring about this particular group is that uh, if if we write, if somebody writes something new, like we're we're doing some 
quite a bit of material that hasn't been done yet. Or I came up with a, a new song um, that I that I really like a lot, and it was written for a lot of voices. And then uh, Mick had a beautiful instrumental on the hammer dulcimer to follow it. And then Lauren had this great Martha Scanlon song to follow that. So we're able to put these montages of music together that tell a whole story because they will bring the audience into some pretty deep places mm -hmm. and then give them a chance to breathe and think about that for a second and then something a little sweeter and then we'll get on to the funny stuff. Funny stuff? Well, Steve Einhorn is in the oh, band yes. and McDarty <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin. Actually, all of us are fairly funny given half a chance. <laughs> That's great. So uh, are you thinking about recording? Well, you know, that's a good question. Absolutely, we are. Uh, Steve and I have been trying to get into the studio for, for a few years now. Mm -hmm. um, we have a ton of material that's ready as our duet goes. Yeah. Uh, now that we're in this setting, we're already talking about how to, how to think about that. I think we definitely will want to. Right now, we're just concentrating on trying to get uh, Lauren's husband, Ed Carpenter, mm -hmm. up to speed and trained to be our sound guy, and then he's joining the band as our sound man. <laughs> then we'll talk about recording. <laughs> but yes, I think so. And we're going to yeah. just keep these little intimate jobs, I think, for a while as far as playing, woodshedding our material with the Portland audience, and then try to apply to a couple of real sweet spots for mm -hmm. bigger stages uh, and we'll we'll need recordings at some point yeah. for all of this. So. so you'll be ready for festivals for next year. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, for, yeah 17 for sure. Because doesn't that everybody make their money at festivals? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> money? Money. I don't oh. think it's about the money, but it's a good, it's very yeah. rich. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's great. That's that's terrific. Um, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's really exciting. It must be really, you know, it must be a lot of fun. Well, it is. It's a whole. It's a completely global, holistic band experience. <laughs> you know, because when you're playing with people, you get to know each other pretty well. Yeah. And um, the sweet thing is that we all know each other so much that we've already been through like many layers. Oh. Of, of of who we are don't have to really explain a whole lot and um so it's, it's pretty lonely it's good really yeah. good friends the whole band is driven by love is in the middle of it uh -huh. and if it's not about the love then it's not happening yeah. so that's really where it's at it was inspired because we lost someone we love very dearly a year ago kevin's wife marcia left the planet unexpectedly and at, at her memorial was when the concept came up because we, oh. we were singing some songs and and Kevin we all just kind of looked at each other and said we should be playing music together mm. and I can't remember if it, who said it first it might have been Kevin or me or yeah we'll just be the Portlanders uh -huh. and, oh the Portlanders okay and then, <laughs> did you know you were coming back you were going to be moving back to town then it was that day that I, that we really? decided wow. that's it we're going home wow yeah wow. yeah wow. and it is a love thing for for Portland and uh, all the people here, there's no place like this anywhere. And part of it, of course, is that we've been here for 35 years. But the, right. the, the core of it, no matter where you go, the sweetness of Portland is still very much there. The uh, elbow room for innovative 
creativity mm -hmm. is really strong here. And uh, I think Portland and New York City are my favorite places, oh, you know, like I in that regard. I understand that, yes. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so do, do you ever get over to Artichoke anymore? Oh, geez. You know, I keep thinking I will, but I haven't. I haven't gotten there yet. Really? Not one, not wow. since we returned. It's about six months now. Um, and Steve hasn't either. And we had thought, actually, of approaching them about the idea of the Portlanders doing a show over there. Uh -huh. uh, I, I don't know if I should say this on the record or off the record, but I had heard of just recently that they've built, the building's been sold and that Artichoke is going to move. Oh, wow. And I don't know how yeah. that should – you're the journalist, so you should check that out. But yes. that's yeah. the word on the street, wow. but that artichoke would continue. Um, but, boy, that really brought a bunch of nostalgia right to the front stage oh, in bad. my mind. Yeah. Uh, it's such a great yeah. building. But my guess is it's a prime spot. Right. I'm thinking vertical, you know. Oh, probably yeah. Somebody's going to make some dough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think even as a – I think they did a great uh, job trying to keep it going, but you know you couldn't really do that in the private sector, right? With the the um, the mission that it had, and so the, yeah. when they converted to nonprofit, that seemed like the best hope for it, and I think that will mm -hmm. continue. The legacy will continue. Um, I don't know that it matters so much where it is, as long as it has vitality. But boy, that chapter that we got was really excellent. Well, it was nothing like artichoke. <laughs> yeah. Really. It was really nothing like artichoke. Yeah. It was so unique. I uh, felt like a gatekeeper in the twilight zone. I mean, like yeah. you had no idea who was going to walk through the door. And it, it was just remarkable, the wonderful stories. And um, Steve had such a beautiful ability to connect with whoever came in mm -hmm. no matter what their background was and a lot of the times i was upstairs in the office just kind of watching it all go down really? and it was it was very entertaining I mean, most of the time <laughs> I, I my only regret is that i didn't journal something every single uh, day i was there because there was a story a really good one at least one yeah. every single day yeah. yeah well you're married to a very entertaining gentleman yeah <laughs> That's say true. the least. <laughs> That's very true. That is very true. Do you remember when you first started singing with him? I mean, do you, do you remember the first gig you had with him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I actually invited Steve over to my house uh, years before we got together. Uh -huh. We we had talked about going, uh, sharing each other's repertoire a little bit to see if there was anything interesting, kind of mining each other's mm -hmm. uh, lists of songs that the other might not be doing but might be interesting to the other person. And it was it was fun because we talked a lot about people like Dick Gawkin and Tony Cuff, Scottish people, and um, some of the music uh, and traded some things. And actually, he still has my notes to him from that <laughs> night, and I still have his notes to me, which is really interesting. That's great. But the, uh, after we got together, and you did that lovely story on all that, mm -hmm. the very first gig we did was actually with Mick Doherty and, really? uh, and his wife, Deb Chase, um, in uh, a tiny town. Oh, I'm going to forget what it's called. It begins with an R. It's somewhere slipping on the side of my brain. In, in Oregon? In in Oregon. Oh, uh, Raymond. 
Washington. Oh. It was, it was an old converted theater, an old silent movie theater. Where that is they, that? I don't know, somewhere out there. <laughs> <laughs> Heading north and and There's uh, a lot of east. out there. Yeah, it was one of those little out there places. Yeah. And we did a, a great show together. Uh, and ironically, the bed and breakfast that they put us up in that night there was a pair of people from even a more obscure town that I had lived in as a child oh called Long Hill, Maryland, and they knew where my school was and everything. It was just a town full of cornfields. Where is Long Hill? I've ne- I'm from, it's outside I'm, of Towson and I'm from, Jacksonville. I'm from Baltimore. I never heard of it. Yeah, see, even a Baltimore person wouldn't know where no. it was. <laughs> And there we were in Raymond meeting people like that. So we did that. And we also, uh, the next gig was opening for Cheryl Wheeler at the Melody Ballroom. And I think Greg Brown was on the set that night Uh too. And Robin and Linda Williams, those were among the first ones that we got to open for. So they were all really great Uh people. Uh, Did you know that you guys could, could just make music together? Was that just, was it really easy? Yes. Yeah. From the first note. Really? There, there were there were things that were di- that are very different about us. Oh yeah. But yeah. when it came to that time when we finally sat down and sang a song together, mm-hmm. the guitar styles were completely complementary, yeah. yeah. and the voices were really nice together. And Steve's a great harmonizer, and and I, I'm pretty good at that too. So we were able to throw it back and forth, and it was so natural. We we do talk about arrangements, but we never have to talk about anything else. Uh-huh. It's all right there. It's just like getting the, the package, you know. Uh. It's very rare. Uh-huh. Of course, we're a couple of folkies with very similar backgrounds, yeah. too. So yeah. we had our, 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 uh, we've been informed by the same uh-huh. heroes and uh-huh. music, a lot of it. Now, were you part of, of the folk scene in, in, in Baltimore or Washington? No. I went to Catholic University uh-huh. in Washington, D.C., yeah. and I was, I was part of the music scene there as it related to the peace movement, uh-huh. the marches against the Vietnam War during that time. So yeah. that was 1969 and yeah. 70. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, well, I, I probably helped house you. I, in was, I was a marshal. Oh, were you really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that meant. I didn't do anything. <laughs> it sounds really good. You know, but I just got to stand there instead of march, you know, like watch people go by. I don't yeah. Know, I don't know what they expected me to do. I wasn't going to stop anybody from Keep doing anything or, or, yeah. or, or, you know. I mean, well, and of course that. Can, I didn't get arrested. I know that. You did or did not? I did not. Oh, Not that time. Anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah well, there, was, there were a bunch of marches, the, uh, you know, against the war and the um, mobilization and the Watergate and all of that, yeah. but it also that that um, immediately followed my experience going to Woodstock as uh-huh. a 17-year-old graduate oh, of high school, and having that experience with that uh-huh. amount of people and realizing, you know what, it really can happen. Yeah, we can we can do this, yeah, yeah. and that's really that's really been a big influence on my life. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'd say, wow. yeah. Jeez, I almost got there. Yeah. I didn't make it. No. No. In the no. Oh, to Woodstock? Yeah. Yeah. My, well, my, my wife got got an asthma attack as we were oh. uh, we were about 2 hours out of Baltimore. Oh no. Turned back. Oh, well it was a complete fluke that I got to go because yeah. I, like I said I was I was a kid just graduated from high school and a, fr- a friend of mine that I hung out with and who made music 
his mother was a teacher, Mrs. Uh -huh. Lurie, and they were going to go up there, and he wanted to know if I wanted to go. And I said, sounds good, but I think your mother, your mom needs to call my mom. So <laughs> Mrs. Lurie called Mrs. Power, and Mrs. Power thought, oh, it's the teacher, Mrs. Lurie, you know. And, you know, the, I'm going to bring the kids up to this art and craft fair up in New York State. Do you think your daughter would like to come? And my mother said, well, sure, that sounds just fine. And then she caught the 11 o'clock news that night. And boy, I was, I was in for it when I got home. But I said, Mom, that wasn't me. I didn't roll around naked in the water. I didn't do that. No, somebody else just looked like me. I was helping to talk people down in the tent after they took the bad acid. But otherwise, it was an amazing experience. It really was very sure. positive for me. I really loved it. So who were your folk heroes, folk singer heroes back then? Um, in those days, Gordon Bach was one. Uh -huh. And his he he's a beautiful singer and songwriter, and he was also a friend of my family's. Through my father fell in love with his Bay of Fundy songs, and my dad had taught all of us how to play guitar, and he just got captivated by Gordon's style of playing. So, and my father always loved the sea and being on the boat. And Who would you compare his style to? Um, For people who don't know, who, who I would say. Hmm. Gordon is he he's almost hmm. I don't know if there's anybody that actually really? compares to him. Uh, okay. Because he's not it's not shanties. His uh -huh. songs are very they're storytelling songs, yeah. but they're also timeless. They sound like they could have been written, you know, 500 years ago. Uh maybe uh uh Stan Rogers or uh Bill Staines, but in the it's very beautiful music, and he also got very deeply into the viola da gamba at one point, and uh, the resin of that bow across the string with mm -hmm. his voice. Wow! Uh, he just had one of those voices that if you're going through a bad time, and you turned him on and turned yeah. it up, and so you could feel it in your feet, yeah. everything is better. <laughs> I remember back then, and this was like in the early days of of uh, uh, well, it was in the it was in the mid '60s, I guess. Yeah. Or early early '60s. Yeah. There was there was no folk music on the radio. Yeah. But yeah, there was one station in the D.C. area, WWVA or not WWAVA, mm -hmm. and they had a Sunday night folk music show by a, a DJ named Dick Seary. Uh huh. And and I could only get it by sitting on my on, on the back porch. <laughs> Great. And so you know, me and a couple of friends who were who, who were who were into it would just sit there and listen. And it was the only place you could hear any folk music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, oh, and especially the 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 emerging younger voices. Yeah. You know, the right. people who were, ended up being on Electra, for right. instance. You know, back then, or, right. or Folkways, or right. some of those labels. And that was, uh, you know, that was pretty amazing. Of course, then the whole, you know, the whole Dylan thing happened. Well, and those were the people that were influencing me for sure. Yeah. My dad worked in Manhattan, and he would go down to the village and listen to folk players ah. before, on his way home sometimes. Wow. And so he'd come home with records, <laughs> Josh White. Um, uh -huh. He was way into Lead Belly and all of that. But the the ones that I was interested in and that he brought home for me were more Joni Mitchell, yeah. Judy Collins, Bob Dylan, Eric Anderson, Tim yeah. Buckley, yeah, yeah. you know, those guys. And Tim Buckley was practically a jazz musician. Yes. 
What a what a great soul too. Yeah. I mean, just um, Patrick Sky. I love John Patrick Prine. Sky. Yeah. yeah, people have no idea. About no, Patrick Sky. and Sandy Bull. Yes, Sandy Bull was a very unique and extraordinary. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he was, and, and just not too long before he died, he he was still releasing like great obscure albums that no one and still no one heard them. Right. Well, you see, know? I think that's the 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 ethos behind a, fo- a real folk singer is so about the music and I think I think most people that are playing if they're writing they're probably pretty prolific because it's it's yeah. a response it's yeah. it's our catharsis mm-hmm. and whether it's good bad or indifferent it's how you get it out and some are more poetic than others um, and some have better voices than others uh-huh. but the thing I loved about that era was that it proved between Dylan and Pete Seeger and a number of people that I can think of. It wasn't because their voices were so beautiful. It was right. because of what they were singing. Oh yeah, what and, they had to say and right. the soul behind it yeah. and how yeah. they unified people around yeah. it and that I, they dared to say it. I don't know if you know this, but I was the world's worst folk singer. Really? I was in a folk <laughs> duo. Yeah. Yes, and we. I sucked. <laughs> she was good. <laughs> I was terrible. Well, you know, when you're young, you know, you, you try out the, you try out, see what you can do and what you can't do. Yes. You know? And I couldn't, I could, we, we had a regular gig in a coffee, at a coffee shop. Yeah. A coffee house. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it wasn't, it was short lived. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. was our little duo. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting now because now it seems like it's not as much about the gig socially yeah. as it is about playing together or like you know like the uke thing is very social and Uh people don't they're looking for forms of expression maybe they didn't think they could do that before and now they can they don't have to be really good at it in order to enjoy it or they can follow the likes of uh, jake shimabukuro or something but most of the people that mentored me a lot of them started out on a simple instrument uh-huh. so i think there was a part of me that really wanted to compose uh-huh. but i never really pulled it together to become literate enough to do that uh, as far as reading music and yeah. you know I, I got accepted at college based on a, a a tape that sister mary bernadette had sent down <laughs> of my original music and then i ended up in a music program where people had been trained since they were four years old how to oh, read wow. and i knew where middle c was and that was about it so <laughs> so i had to change my focus so i stay kept it on the music but i uh-huh. i moved it over to the peace movement instead yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I actually did I, I I did a little tiny bit of entertaining at a, at a couple of demonstrations. I would sing, I would sing loud Phil Oaks tunes, uh-huh. loud angry Phil Oaks tunes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even Phil wrote some beautiful songs. Did, later yeah. on. Yeah. Well, that's not true. I mean, there were some some of those you know on those electro albums mm-hmm. were 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 pretty the the bells. Yeah. The Poe yeah. po thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a great great chapter. Yeah. The electro days. Yeah. yeah really. And actually, right around then, when I was 16, there was a club in in New Jersey outside of the city called the Thirsty Ear mm-hmm. in Morristown. Of and course, a lot of the what people a great name. that were coming through, of course, <laughs> Hungry Eye, Thirsty Ear, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And the whole the yeah, it was it, they had a great logo. It was really fun. <laughs> and uh, my dad had actually discovered that club, and he was a he was a color specialist, and he stopped by, and he had a light box that he had used for a sales meeting that had all these lights that would flash different colors, you know, about 12 of them, and 
he stopped by, he was done with that, to see if the owner would like to have it for his window because he thought it would attract people. Yeah. And he got talking to them and then realized, oh, this might be a place that Kate ought to come in and audition. <laughs> well, that ended up being my home away from home. Wow. It was that thirsty year place. And yeah. there was, um, it was a great coffee house. And talent scouts used to come around to places like that. And there was one who came through uh, one time. And I think I, it was, it may have been the time that I had opened for Towns Van Sant. And that, that week, both Towns and I got offered a contract from this company that was an offshoot of, of uh, Polydor. And um, he took his and I didn't. I was still living at home. I hadn't emancipated yet. And, you know, when they say that they're, you know, they're going to sell, you have to do a record every couple of years and yeah. they're going to sell your song and you'll get two cents per song and things like that. Yeah. I, there was no part of me that could actually reconcile with songs and money and people telling me what I was supposed to wear or anything <laughs> at that stage of the game. But it was, they were looking for another Janiseean or, yeah. you know, and, yeah. uh, I went into the RCA studio, and it was it was really quite a great experience. Jefferson Airplane was in the studio next door, and oh, it was really quite New something. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah! I just came I've, across the contract a little while back. I've been in that studio. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, very famous. Years, 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 and years, and years, decades later, mm -hmm. I actually did um, uh, commercials. Oh, in that, really? In that studio, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, and that's where I first learned what it's like to be in the hands of a good engineer, too, because uh -huh. I was nervous. And then and the gentleman <clears throat> at the board just was so smooth. He just made everything so, so easy. So <laughs> it was fun. But I think part so what of... What happened to it? Well, I decided early on that I didn't want to do it as a racket. It was my form oh. of expression, uh -huh. you know. And so I also was raised in a really large family. And I watched, uh, I'd gone up to a uh, festival with Dave Bromberg, was one of the passengers in our uh -huh. car, and he ha he loved my little 0021 Martin New Yorker, and he uh -huh. played it the whole way up to the Fox <laughs> Hollow Festival. And then we went from that festival to the Phil Philadelphia Folk Festival, and when he played that one, he did his bullfrog um, shtick and got like this 20-minute <laughs> standing ovation. It was so great. <laughs> But he, he really skyrocketed, and it yeah. was amazing to, f to feel his ascension from the, per the, uh -huh. the seams of his social life yeah. and realize how he really had to shut everybody out so he could go do what he needed to do. Yeah. And for me, I think I had a sense of uh, that if I went that way, I, I might get disconnected from the community or the sense of community that I really want, longed for mm -hmm. in my life. And I felt like I really needed that. So I decided that I would, if, I would just um, keep my heart in the right place. And uh, as things opened up, I would, I would go, go that in that direction, but I wasn't mm -hmm. going to aggressively pursue it. I would just be doing, I would just yeah. be that. Yeah. And if people want it, they'll let me know. Was that the right decision? You know, it's funny. I think so. <laughs> I, I had a funny uh, experience in Ireland. Years ago, I went with my daughter, Abigail, and there was a gypsy. We were at the Willie Clancy Festival, and there was a gypsy caravan, and we went in to have our readings by this gypsy. <laughs> and she said to me that 
there's there are some things that I worry about or you know have a little anxiety about whether I made the right decision or not. And she said you shouldn't worry about that because it all would it all came out to the same place anyway. Oh. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what she meant. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to take that all and right. just say yeah, it's it's just great. You know, I heard David Bromberg say something years and years ago that this I, it has been was so in, influential in my life. And he said cuz you know, cuz I you know, I've I've had like 30 years of managing crews and getting you know writers and right. videographers and stuff like that. And he said, "I always want somebody in the band who plays better than I do." Yeah, 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 yeah. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. And I, I and I do. Yeah. I do want me. I do want somebody in the band who's better than I am. Mm -hmm. I want somebody in the band who's a lot better than I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, our teachers are everywhere. Yeah. And in the band, in the Portlanders, the nice thing there is that everybody there is really accomplished, but they all do something a little bit different. Uh -huh. So there's, it's like adding spice to, yeah. to the stew, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's always something yeah. new to ab absorb about it. Um, yeah. Speaking of gypsies. Yeah. <laughs> you had your own little caravan there for a couple of years, didn't you? Yeah, we sure did. That was so fun. <laughs> what went into the decision to, like, get get in an RV and travel the country? I Well, I think it has to do with a couple of things. One was finishing raising our kids in yeah. Portland with a commitment uh -huh. to um, stay put and do it from artichoke music. That yeah. would be the center, and yeah. we would be behind the counter, and, and that would make – that would earn the, the bread and butter. And, uh, and so by the time the last child fledged uh -huh. to college, it was just before the economy crashed yeah. – the writing was on the wall all over the place yeah. between the internet and the box stores and the and the global economy and and we've had some really wonderful invitations to things you know prairie home companion and mm -hmm. pete seeger uh sent check for $40 for more of our CDs and wanted us to come back east to play a little bit. And uh, so the chance to get out in the world, not only to do music, but also to see if what we were doing with all the Portland people around turning them on to making music would work in the, in the world at large with our book, the ukulele and songbook and uh, hauling around 30 ukuleles to just throw in people's hands. And, you know, it was the most fun thing because it wasn't as organized as it might have been if some great agency had put it together. Yeah. But we just targeted all the people we love that we wanted to see and then communicated with music stores and libraries and community centers uh -huh. along that way. So we got to make a lot of new friends and see family and friends and go around the country and live in 72 square feet for a while. <laughs> and you know what? It was a blast, but I wouldn't recommend it for people that aren't getting along very well. <laughs> and the thing about that lifestyle is that instead of having to, um, uh, you know, navigate everything from where you are. You're moving every day forward into a new place, yeah. new faces, new 
new problems and new solutions. And we always had our little apartment on wheels. So even if we were staying in a rest stop with 40 other semis, we could pull the curtains and light the candle and, you know, cook a meal. Um, how could you cook stuff in there? Oh, it had a little it had a little four burner really? Wedgwood stove oh and oven. Gosh. In fact, yeah. we called it our gourmet culinary tour. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, but depending on where you are, if you want things like pesto, uh-huh. there was one place we were. I can't remember if it was Missouri or where. And I, I, oh, you want that green sauce? Oh, no, we don't get call for that here. (laughs) So I couldn't find any pesto. Well, it wasn't St. Louis, I can tell you that. No, No. it wasn't St. Louis. I think it was more. St. Louis is full of Italians. Yeah. 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 So uh, it was exciting. And and actually, it's easier to stay healthy on the road when you're doing your own cooking. I don't don't really like to stay in hotels unless it's a really Uh good hotel. And would far prefer to stay in a vehicle and do my own cooking. And it even had its own little shower and, you know, a little sit down thing. And How did you find that thing? It was a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, uh, it was a big van with an Airstream converter top. Wow. Econoline, you know, uh-huh. yeah. and uh, so all the instruments, the thirty, the ukuleles, and then all the other instruments we play in concert, and our books and our CDs and all that stuff was over the cab. And then you had oh. these little flip open cabinets, nice oak uh-huh. things that uh-huh. you open and just stick a basket in, and they're his clothes, <laughs> my clothes, the food, and uh, it it instantly galvanized us into a minimalist lifestyle. Yeah. Because you wouldn't, yeah, we still had too much stuff with us, I yeah. mean, more than we needed. <laughs> it was the greatest exercise in learning how little you need to have a great day and and really everything you need. And so this big house full of stuff that we had back in Portland, uh-huh. when we came back from that, started seeming kind of onerous. And <laughs> so we began to kind of work toward trying to clear things out a bit and uh-huh. Uh, plus, my husband was sleeping much better because we weren't on a no- noisy street anymore. Oh, Because really? we lived right on 33rd there across oh, from Wilshire yeah. Park. Yeah. Great house. Uh-huh. But I don't think he slept really? the full night the whole 17 That's years. That's funny because when, when, I, when, I, when I look back in Baltimore, I always – I always uh, uh, lived on a very busy street, and when I would go to someplace quiet, I couldn't sleep <laughs> because there was no traffic. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. there again, being raised in a big family, I'm used to noise. I can sleep yeah. in 45 seconds anywhere on demand. How big a family? Well, eight kids, nine. Eight? Yeah, eight survived. Yep. Wow. Eight kids, ten people. Yeah. Wow. And the dog. And the parakeet. Only one dog? Oh, uh, yeah. At a really? time, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> we created enough chaos for my parents to. And where, where were you in the pecking order? I have two older brothers uh-huh. and five younger brothers and sisters. I have four brothers and three sisters. Wow. Yep. Jeez. Yep. See, this is completely foreign to me because I'm an only child. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine yes. that. Yes. Yeah. No, you learn how to share. And how to sleep in noisy places. Ah, <laughs> yes. And as an only child, you learn how to be selfish. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Uh, in a big family, you learn that too, because oh. the word mine oh. t- takes on oh, a yeah. whole new meaning. It's kind yeah. of sacred territory. <laughs> <laughs> so if I have one of those moments in our family, we call it a big family syndrome, BFS <laughs> moment. 
you know, if I'm being overly possessive about something. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, uh, did, but all along on this adventure on this, you know, that, that you were on, did, did, you, did you plan on coming back here? Yes. You did. There were, there were moments we weren't exactly sure uh -huh. because our parents were aging out and yeah. leaving the planet. Uh, so kind of getting ready for that made us ponder the idea of going to New York City for a couple of years, you know, uh -huh. for the last couple of years and, and things like that. And we do have a lot of East Coast families, so we are yeah. drawn to that. But we just try to, you know, you can be there in six hours, right. fly direct. So. Right. I don't think we're we've got a big love affair going on with Portland. It really is the sweetest place on earth. Yeah. I, I just can't imagine living anywhere else. Uh -huh. I I can imagine living everywhere in a way. Yeah. It's a beautiful world out there, but this is home. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Pete Seeger. You know, we have a tendency to uh, idealize our heroes. Uh huh. <laughs> it, did did. Did people have the right idea about who Pete Seeger was? Was he was he really that that wonderful a guy? Uh you know, I don't think it had that much to do with his personality, really, as much as it had to do with what he was doing, because uh -huh. he did he stood up for what he believed. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, come on, he it wasn't he didn't have the most beautiful voice you ever heard. Mm. You're very ordinary and. He wasn't, you know, that good looking or, you know, wasn't about the glamour or the yeah. things that media seems to be about a lot of the time. In fact, it was yeah. an anomaly. And maybe that's why it got the kind of attention that he did uh, because he was standing apart from the pull of the media for those days. We, did, we saw a YouTube of Pete doing a sing-along um, I can't remember if it's Gwabi Gwabi or or uh, uh -huh. uh, way out there. I think it was way out there at Hugh Hefner's Playboy Club, <laughs> and all the bunnies are you know like they're pieced up hair. Was it, was it that that, that um, uh, Hep After Dark? Was it was one of those TV yes, shows? Yes, it yeah. was exactly Playboy that. After Dark. And Playboy yeah. After Dark, yeah. and there's yeah. Pete Seeger. That's so funny. Woo! Hep's there and is like yep. Tuxedo or something. Yes, I think yeah, they had yeah, Nehru jackets yeah, on or something. It was very jackets, funny. Yes. So he was fearless. <laughs> he was fearless about where he would be. You got to give half credit for putting Pete Seeger on, though. You no know? kidding. <laughs> and talk about the American conversation. I mean, that's the whole idea yeah, is talking yeah, in contrast. Yeah. Why bother preaching to the choir? They're already converted, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I think, I think his his role was really teaching us how to be brave uh -huh. and peaceful. But strong and yeah. and not um, just succumb to the dominant paradigm because that's what's going on to do what feels right yeah. for all of us as a brotherhood or sisterhood. Yeah. So, um, you know, and certainly the civil rights movement sure. and Martin Luther King. Um, uh, Bobby Kennedy, all of the you know, all the people that came together during those days, and then the singers were expressing it not only with topical songs like Phil Oaks would come up with and Bob Dylan, but also just really beautiful songs right. about kinship and and right. what it means to be a human being in well, connection. I I always think that that Pete's live at Carnegie Hall summed up sums up the whole era. Yeah. 
I agree. You know, I mean, it was probably the last really huge selling pop folk album. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not pop, but it was, you know, it was, that's when folk was, was, had its moment, uh, you know, in in that arena. And um, uh, I wore it out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think the thing about Pete was, his middle name is Integrity. Yes. And right down yes. to the point where, right. you know, we would write him letters. I've got a whole a whole basket of letters between us or myself and Pete Seeger. And, uh, and what I realized was every time I wrote him, he was really compelled to write back. Uh-huh. He, he didn't blow off one notification. Uh-huh. In fact, for about a year, we traveled around with a little composition book and invited people to uh-huh. write something to Pete, uh-huh. you know, what effect he had had on their lives or whatever, yeah. and we were going to send it to him for his birthday. <laughs> and so we had this this pad of paper, this this notebook, full of these wonderful stories uh-huh. from all these people that contributed to that and the next time we saw him he said could you please could you please not do that again because he feels wow. he really he appreciated it and the effort behind it but his ego didn't need to be fed for one thing i think uh-huh. he already knew he yeah. had this ubiquitous effect on the culture yeah. and but his tenacity to do the right thing also meant writing people back and he had a le- he had oh. a stack of about 500 letters on the table and Toshi would pick off at the top and they'd read one and then he'd write something back and then just the last letter or two he had a mimeographed or you know kind of copied letter I'm uh-huh. sorry for sending you a photocopied letter but there's just too many for me to do wow. at this point and but even right to the end you still got a response so I mean who's wow. going to do that right uh, did you get to sing with him not with him oh. no definitely i mean in the audience like, yes, we, all did. like we all did and that, yeah. that's appropriate that's you know that's that's the way it was my whole <laughs> life with him so why not that's that's great that's great boy well you know it was not a lot of people like him around anymore We'll see. I mean, not with that, not with with, no. with the the, rec- the recognition. Yeah. The widespread recognition. Yeah. You know. Well, he came at a at a turning point, a really inter- right. and I really believe that as those turning points are upon us, the the people will show up to help us. Yeah. Um, we can hope. Yeah, <laughs> hope is the big word <laughs> there. Hope. Yep, yes. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It may not be in that that particular genre, you know, but. Uh, Probably. Let's let's hope. <laughs> well, I think I think too with Pete, one of the things you know, like he he would talk about things. He was very knowledgeable. He wrote books. Yeah. And um, one of the role things that about him being a role model was that he he exemplified expressing yourself in whatever way meant the truth for yeah. you. He was a truth teller. Right. So. He's not only a folk singer, but he was out there with the peace sign right. at the gas station every week. You know, yeah, he yeah. was um, he was doing it. He wrote he wrote his books, and so I try to follow those examples of just doing what I feel led to do, yeah. um, even if it's a little scary. Yeah. Even if it's really scary, go ahead. Yeah. And I always liked that that how indignant he was um, that uh, about um, that he w- didn't. He wasn't trying to pull the, the 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 pull the plug on Bob Dylan at Newport. I know, I know that it was Dylan. just it was just it was distorted. 
Right. And, and that and that people couldn't understand exactly what what the, because the mix was bad. Right. It wasn't like he wanted them to stop and not be electric. Right. So, I mean, you, you know, that's um, that just made a more interesting story, and they spun it. Right. And that right. that did irritate him, I think, yes. right to the end. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our photographer John Rudolph was there uh, taking pictures. Oh my! Yes. Oh my! <laughs> At Newport, <laughs> when they only went electric. Wow. <laughs> hey, is... where, where did you stand on that? With what? With Dylan going electric. Well, I was way into rock and roll, too. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, no, I'm definitely a mixed bag. I'm a flower child, you know, how could I not? I yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'm hoping I want to I want to get a, a Les Paul Jr. electric guitar and, and move into, um, into breaking really? some thresholds personally, just as a writer. Really? Well, also, at my age and what I'm doing musically on the fingerboard – it would help me a lot to have a cutaway and to be able to do some of the things you can do. Oh, yeah. The exploration is not over. I feel like wow. I'm right hit in the middle That's somewhere. Great. Yeah. Great. Wow. <laughs> you never know what you're going to see. A banjo one day, ukulele the next, then Kate, electric Kate, guitar. Kate Power sings Chuck Berry, the Chuck Berry songbook. No, I don't think it'll be Chuck Berry. <laughs> I, you know, that's the funny thing, too. I really am kind of a, a freak in that um, there are a lot of people I admire, I really absorb, and they really uh -huh. nourish my life. But when it comes to music, I, I really just wait to see what's coming out. Uh -huh. And so I'm not – interested in in um copying very much but that's why the portlanders is such a fun avenue for me because there are all these other songs that i would that i'm getting exposure to and getting to participate in uh -huh. that aren't necessarily something that i wrote that yeah. you know yeah. gives me a chance to to kind of go from the outside in uh, more uh, for a while uh, or in a mix of both yeah. Have you ever figured out how music gets out of your fingers? How many what? How music gets out of your fingers? It comes, you know, it comes through and, and then it comes out of your fingers. Yeah, you know, the day my dad died, he taught me how to play piano when I was little. Uh -huh. And I went, Steve went to get some food and I just sat down to the piano and my fingers started moving and a song came yeah. out. I yeah. call it Eclipse because he, he traveled over uh -huh. right in the middle of that uh -huh. last big, big one. And um, I do think about that quite a bit. And I, don't, I, think, I, I don't know that there's an answer. And there may, there may, may be an answer. I mean, you know, maybe you have to be a, you know, a, 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 an academic and, and no, no brain chemistry and oh. all that stuff. But Oh, no. I'm not academic at all. I'm, I mean, I'm to really, the opposite. To, to really figure it out. Oh, to, to really know, well to know to the put, answer. Yeah, the back yeah. end of it. Yeah. That's one way, one yeah. thing. But intuitively, when I look at my grandkids yeah. and I see how musical they are and what their song seems to be, yeah. Yeah. my my. My dad said I was singing before I could ever talk, and I think that song that's yeah. coming through is yeah. ancestral. Yeah. Personally, I think it just is just in the genes somewhere. Yeah, I actually asked a guy one time. He's a he's a, a local. Uh, he's in the Kung Pao Chickens. I can't remember his name right now. Pete Krebs? No, no, not Pete. Tracy? No, no, the guy who plays the, the clarinet. Oh right, Gary. Yeah, Gary. Gunther. Yeah. I asked, who had spent a long time as a psychiatrist, a psychologist. Uh huh. And. And 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 I I asked him one time in an interview, if, how does it get from here to you know from your heart to your head to your fingers and, and out right? And he had this great explanation, but the tape over the years got lost and uh, I don't have it. Uh, so I sat down. I, I, he was playing somewhere, and and I thought I 
I'm going to do this again. Yes. I'm going to have it on video this uh -huh. time. And I asked him, and it was like the, the completely different explanation. It, <laughs> it didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it was like Laurel and Hardy, where or where where Laurel will say something brilliant, and Hardy will go say that again, Stan, and Laurel comes back with complete gibberish. Well, and isn't that the way it is, though? And so, I mean, really, we're like just pretend you're the Lincoln Tunnel, and those cars going through are all different songs, you know, and you just have to be organized yeah. in a way for it to come and go. Because, you know, when I sit at the, at the keyboard and type and write, yeah. I don't know how that works. Yeah. How is it these things are coming out of my fingers? These words are coming out of my fingers. Right. Right? right. How, does that, how does that happen? You're emanating. Yeah. You're emanating it. <laughs> I Just don't get like it. that first person that <laughs> that hit the hollow log and was making a tone. They're <laughs> emanating. Or, or, or they hear a bird and they just start uh, singing uh, back uh, to uh, it. <laughs> just do it, right? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I think we get way overcomplicated and that just corks the whole thing. I know. Sometimes yeah. in the intellectual realm. Yeah. So I know there's an intellectual answer to everything. I know. And by now, I have to have QWERTY. Yeah. I have to I, I, how, do, how, how else do, do I write if I don't have a, a QWERTY keyboard? Yeah. I don't know how. Though there are other systems. <laughs> you can learn. Well, it's sort of like the ukulele. Just, you know, down, down, I up. Guess, you just I play. Guess. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> what would I be like then? I don't know. How would I write? I don't know. Well, what would come out? I have no idea. Eleanor Roosevelt says, yeah. do something that scares you every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I can't write it in longhand because I can't read my own writing. Oh, there's that. I was a lefty. You know, and, yeah, me too. And, and they, they didn't teach us. They, they were We were outcasts. I remember. I got my <laughs> knuckles wrapped. Yeah. No, I yeah. didn't get any knuckles wrapped because I didn't have nuns. Uh -huh. Although in the third grade, I had a teacher from England who slapped me in the face <gasps> in public school. Holy cow. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> you must have been really naughty that day. But the, those, desks, <laughs> those desks were made, the ones that, that just right. had the, 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 uh, the one side that came from Yeah. Well, they didn't have one for, right, for yeah. left-handed people because yeah. the thing was on the right side yeah. and you had no place to put your arm. Right. Yeah. Right. Bastards. But you know what? One one mythbuster that I've been having a lot of fun with is that if you are left-handed, yeah. it's my sincere belief that you have a distinct advantage over right-handed people on any stringed instrument. <laughs> really? Yes, because it's really a myth that it's a right-handed instrument. It's not. It's a standard instrument. Uh -huh. But left hand is so smart and articulate and strong, and it drives <laughs> – those chords and everything that's happening on that fingerboard. And what you're doing with your right hand oh, is a yeah. rote patterning exercise huh. of muscle memory. That's going to be awkward huh. whichever hand you use. Wow. So lefties actually rock on huh. standard instruments. Yeah. They just don't know it. Huh. How come I can't play then? Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been trying too hard to do it the left-handed way. Would you no, think it's the left-handed no, way? That's all. <laughs> Well, listen, thank you so much for coming in. We could do this forever, but, uh, you know, I really appreciate your time and, and being here. And we will look for the Portlanders. Thank you, Tom. I it's been a genuine you. pleasure okay, to see thanks. you again. Thank you okay. so much.